Welcome back in to the Garage Talk Podcast. This is episode 23. Thanks for checking it out. Don't forget to rate the podcast. I'd appreciate at least one star, preferably five. Our guest tonight is Don Lieber. He is uh, the Vice President of Marketing and Advertising at Bymart. And Don, you've been there. Is it 49 years at Bymart? It is. It has been. That's impressive. It's crazy. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, just to try to even think back about all the things that have happened, the things that we've done, the people that I've met, uh, things that have changed. Yeah, it's gone by in a blur, though. That's what's so wild. It you know it seems like 49 months, not 49 years. Yeah. We'll get to when you started there and how old you were when you started at Bymart, but I want to start back a little bit before that because... You actually grew up in Eugene? Yes. Yep. Born and raised in Eugene. What was it like growing up in Eugene at that time for you? Oh, it was fun. Um, you know, I, uh, I have really bad allergies and asthma. So every summer we went over to the coast and lived. My dad was a, uh, well, he had various things, but he ended up being a volunteer fireman. Then he was a full-time paid fireman. So he worked 24 on, 48 off. He'd drive back and forth. We'd live in a travel trailer on the beach because that's where I could survive at. And that was awesome because I loved the beach. But um, now I love Eugene. It's, uh, I mean, of course it's all I've ever known. So, but it's been a great place to grow up. That's not a bad gig though as a kid getting to go to the coast for the entire summer. No, it was, uh, I had to stay like really close to the beach to hide from the pollen and all the stuff that I'm deathly allergic to. So I was forced to, you know, the beach was kind of my backyard. I got to play on the beach and um, I had a little boat that I paddled around in the bay that I shouldn't have been out there in. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Met a lot of people, had a lot of great friends over there and stuff. We stayed in the Walport area for a while, then in Newport. But, um, yeah, those were great memories, you know, for me. So, uh, unfortunately my parents were good enough to put up with me and go over there and live in the summertime. So we, uh, I could survive. Yeah. It must've been pretty bad if you had to get out of town. I know Eugene's probably one of the worst places for pollen, isn't it? That you I was the lucky guy to be, Oh, I'm allergic to about everything, but grass seed and trees are the worst, but the grass seed capital of the world. So, um, yeah. And I just, I took shots when I was younger. Um, and that just didn't really, you know, take effect and didn't help me. And it turned into asthma, so I couldn't breathe. So we, they didn't, unfortunately, didn't really, I mean, we're either going to move to and live at the coast or we're going to head over there in the summertime. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, it was awesome. Did it, it ever fun. get bad enough where it was actually scary? Did it, was there any bad side oh, effects? Oh, yeah, it was. Well, no, was uh, so we lived down the street from the fire station. My dad was a volunteer fireman. And it would get to the point where I couldn't breathe and he'd have to go get the oxygen um, apparatus and you know bring it home, put it over my face so I could breathe because I was so plugged up I couldn't breathe. And that was kind of the days where they figured out they had to get me out of there because I just was so severely allergic to grass seed and other stuff. I just couldn't be there in the summertime. How is it now? Have they developed anything that helps well, it or is, is it still oh, a problem? Or? You get these immunization shots to try to desensitize you. You go through a series of bottles. I've taken them for 40 plus years. I'm a unique individual. I've never been able to get through the bottles. I get this little minor piece. Helps me tremendously. I can live here now and I get uh, allergies. Nothing like I did. I get a little bit of asthma. I just went through the whole uh, where I got skin tested to see where I was at and what I was allergic to worse, better or uh, not as bad, uh, and I'm on a new whole setup where I get shots every week, and I'm trying to build on that, but I'm allergic to dust mites, which is everywhere, and mold, and all these things, so, but all that said, you know, I get to live in the valley. I'm, it's survivable. Fortunately, I have a house with air conditioning. I can go and hide in in the summertime and stuff, so it's, it's all manageable. It's a billion times better than when I was a young boy it's amazing when you think about it that as a kid you had to go over to the coast every summer to get away from it and you've lived in eugene for how many years now and managed to at least make it manageable enough because you could have bailed and went somewhere yeah else. i mean probably a smart thing would have been to do to go live on the coast but i don't always make the smart decision and uh, i like you know everything i'm about is there so stayed there and yeah it's it's awesome now i mean it's 
it's nothing like I was. It's, uh, I whine about it a little bit, but it's, you know, it's nothing like I was before. The shots definitely have helped. I've, ha- I've been on the shots now for, gosh, probably 40-plus years. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, my dad had to get the shots every week. So we'd drive over from Glendale every Friday, and he'd go to the doctor. He'd get the shot. Then my mom would go to do the grocery shopping. If we were lucky, we got to go out to eat. And then we went home, and that was the routine almost every Friday because he had to get those allergy shots. Absolutely. Meanwhile, the rest of us were trying to buck hay, and he got out of it sometimes because, well, had hay fever. So I know. I was smart when I was uh, going to high school, tried to buck hay for about eight minutes, and uh, realized that was really not an intelligent thing to do to try and make money with one of my friends. And then we moved out into the fields uh, with, uh, I forget what, product it was that we were harvesting that we tried to do but yeah it wasn't one of my better decisions but as I got older uh graduating out of high school and stuff obviously I wasn't going to the coast but so as you're going through high school what were you thinking about as far as what you wanted to do when you quote unquote grew up you know I don't think I had a real tangible idea my father had a wholesale grocery business before and he'd been a volunteer fireman uh, him and one of his buddies started a business. So he, uh, that was my exposure to retail. We'd go out and stock the stores and I actually kind of enjoyed that. He, uh, had a warehouse in Eugene. We went to different grocery stores around the state of Oregon and had helped him stock shelves and stuff like that. So I, I kind of enjoyed that, but I'd always been interesting in design and art and advertising and marketing, but I never really thought about what I was going to do. And I ended up working with, uh, through a guy that he knew with a grocery store chain. Um, I started at a drugstore chain in Eugene and was trying to really figure out, am I going to go to school? What am I going to do? Then I ended up going to Bymart, getting a job uh, as a part-time toy clerk and um, got excited about them. And uh, through a guy that was there, I kind of worked my way through. Bymart moved into a different apartment. And so fortunately, I was only part-time, but I survived beyond Christmas and they kept me. And um, one of my friends who worked there was working to get into advertising and marketing at the office. And I never even imagined that was such an animal. So I talked to the folks there at Bymart and said, well, I need to go to college. So I went to... Um, Lane Community College at night into advertising and marketing to try to get into that world. And where did it go from there? Are you still working part-time for them when you're going to college at Lane Community College? No, or? I was working full-time for Bymart and going to school at night. Okay. And I had talked to the original uh, HR person who had hired me was the one I had the conversation with about, gee, how do I go about doing this? They wanted to keep me into the store. I I thought I'd be a store manager someday. Um, but then I saw I had this opportunity to get in advertising marketing, something that I had interest in. Found out how do I get there? Well, that uh, director of HR moved on to a different position. They got a new HR director. So I've been going to school for a while. And then after a couple of years, a position opened up in advertising and marketing. And I was fortunate enough to be uh, number six out of five people and you know, didn't even make the bottom five. Um, and didn't get the job. Um, we had a new HR person at that time, and uh, evidently I didn't make a good impression on him in terms of uh, a viable candidate, even though I'd been a Bymart person and so on and so forth. They ended up hiring another person who wasn't uh, a Bymartian, um, who was someone else. And uh, she got hired for the position that I was trying to get into. And then later they had another opening, and after uh, a lot of uh, posturing to try to get that position, um, eventually I got hired into advertising. And at that point, are you just in the department working underneath someone? Yeah, I'm in the department. I'm actually doing ad layout and design. So um, it was pretty basic at that time. Of course, this was back when there was still a concrete tablet and a, you know you kind of chipped away at it. There was obviously no computers. This was back in the mid-70s, so all we really did was have uh, a piece of machinery, a camera where we could size artwork, and we'd do a rough sketch of an ad layout, then we'd send it off to a typesetter, and they typeset it. So much different than it is these days, huh? It's just a little bit different, yes. There wasn't anything called uh, Mac, How long? other than you... some person's name. Right, or Mac and Cheese. Or Mac and Cheese. Did they have Mac and Cheese then? 
the mid 70s thank you yes we did <laughs> i was born in 1980 don i should get a pass on that one i know okay it's I, okay yeah. i wasn't around yet no even though i should know about some things that happened before me which i know about a few but i really didn't know about mac and cheese that's so now true. we know that's yes. important that it was around no there. i had established it was a port and food group by then oh yeah one yes. of the few absolutely uh, when you're younger i'm sure yes. i know it was for me in the 80s so yes so how long did you stay in that position um, so I started in the advertising in mid seventies, um, within a few years. Um, I can't remember how many years it was. I'm going to say, uh, maybe, uh, two or three years. I got promoted to assistant advertising director. Um, happily the person that who had gotten my original job that I'd wanted, um, I passed by. And um, got the opportunity to be the assistant advertising director. Still was kind of in layout and design, but oversaw that department. Um, did a little bit with television and radio, but not much. But it was really more on the print side of it. And then from there, how long did it take you to get to the position you're in now? Was there positions in between there, or was that the next jump for you? Next jump was becoming the advertising director. And in... Uh, so that was the later 70s, close to 80, probably when I got uh, promoted. And then in the mid 80s, I think it was around 85, our, uh, the advertising director um, was let go. And um, fortunately, I got promoted into that position. When you got promoted, was it something you were ready for or were you just taking I it absolutely all in and drinking 100%. out of a fire hose? Yes, absolutely. I was not ready. Uh, I mean, I was ambitious. I was excited. I cared. I was passionate. Um, did I have all the training? Was I ready for what was being dumped into my lap? Because it was a quick move. Um, the other person left and then I got jumped. You know, they just moved me into that position. Fortunately, they were willing to realize I had that favorite word potential. And, um, uh, they hung with me. I mean, I was, it was, you know, I was learning on the fly and, um, I knew enough to be dangerous, but I could survive. So they were patient with me, you know, and that I had great people, you know, around me that, uh, supported me being in that position. And I worked with, uh, people that had been working with us and they knew a lot and they taught me along the way. So, um, yeah, it was, I was fortunate. Did you have to go to bat for yourself when you got that job or was it pretty straightforward that you applied and they saw the potential or did you have to lobby a little bit to get it? It was actually much easier to get that position. It was to try to get in the advertising department. I think I'd proven myself over the years, um, the type of person I was, where my interests and passions were about Bymart and I'd been in the store, so I understood the store side of it and how I could apply advertising and marketing to that. I They knew that this was what I wanted when I was there from the time I was in the store, that I wanted to be the advertising director. That was my whole goal. So um, I think that I had proven myself, fortunately, and uh, there's no doubt they obviously took a chance on me because I didn't have tremendous experience in some of the areas, but I thought they believed in me that, you know, I could do the job. Worked out okay. It worked out okay. I'm curious, how many Bymart stores was there at that time? Oh, gosh, there was probably at that time, I want to say, um, I think in the mid-20s. And how many is there now? Uh, we're about to open our 80th. Congratulations. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. It's, it's been, uh, we should have had a lot more. We should have had more stores than that. But, you know, for various different things, we were bought and sold by different retailers through different times and survived all that, which is, there's not many regional retailers left across the United States. But we survived that and went private and then being employee-owned now, it's, it's amazing, actually. What was that process like to experience? I was, uh, sometimes it's good because you don't know what you don't know, you know, about all how that's coming down. But we had some retailers from up in Washington who had several different retailers they bought. And they didn't really know about this ugly little stepchild called Bymart on the side. All they knew is we made money. And they had, you know, billion-dollar 
situations they had to deal with. And here was this multi-million dollar company that was making money, but it was a membership store and it was different store than, than what they were, you know, in the end they became bought and sold by other companies that we became a part of. And in the end, um, they decided to spin us off and sell us. And, um, a bunch of our executives put together a financial group and were able to purchase Biomart and take it privately. Where it is right now? Where it is right now, and then about 12 years ago, we became a employee-owned corporation. How does that process work? Well, you'd have to talk to our executives more about that because I wasn't in and all in all that process, but you know, you sell the company basically to the employees. You have to go get a loan, and then there's a process of how employers are be able to own part of the company over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a much more involved pro- uh, process than I was a part of. Um, but, uh, very happy that it ended up turning out that way. Do the employees feel the same way? Well, the amazing thing is, uh, there's a lot of people like me had been with the company for a long time and we felt like a family run business, even though we were owned by other people because, they were distant and left us alone and really didn't understand us. And they had bigger problems, fortunately. Mm-hmm. There's a couple times they tried to influence us with some things, but they, you know, our top management people remained the same and, and who and what we were. They didn't really try to change or alter because they had their focus on other things, fortunately. So, you know, through all that, we kind of felt like it was our company, even though it wasn't our company. Mm-hmm. And we were smaller, you know, and most all the people that grew up with it were like me. They'd been with it for that long or longer. Um, obviously, there before I started the company. So we all knew each other and kind of had the same vision of who what we were. So, I mean, it, even though we weren't employee-owned, we felt like, you know, kind of like a mom and pop, even though we had 20-some-plus stores. It was a small group of people that kind of ran it all. Even though you guys have grown a lot over the years, does it still feel that way for the most part? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, who and what we are and what we do, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe to our detriment, we are stuck where we are. We certainly have advanced and changed, but a lot of our philosophies are the same. But no, it doesn't. I think we're at a point, you know, we've got to start understanding we are bigger and to get, to grow where we are now, we have to change some of the things we've been doing because obviously technology in the world's changed. But... Um, we still feel like who and what we are, even though we've got 80 stores now instead of 20 some. You know, you mentioned technology, the difference in marketing from 1985 until now, there's been so many different changes. What has that been like for you? Oh, it's much more complicated. You know, we grew up in a newspaper, television, radio world, and that was the three basics that got us to where we were and what we did and to our audience. Obviously now, there's a lot more moving parts and we're, you know, we have a death grip on some of the ones that got us to where we are that we've got to slowly let, uh, you know, loose of as we kind of move on. Um, but it's, uh, it's grown as we've grown and I think it's evolving. I don't think everybody still understands the internet, social media, digital, and all those things. I mean, you look at it, you know, you live in it every day. Mm -hmm. It's changing by the week yeah, in the month. And, you know, something we did before has already changed to different now. And we have a lot of measurements on how we judge it, but I'm not sure we still have the full grasp on how it relates to dealing with consumers and how they react. And they're inundated with so much messaging now that, um, I think there's still a lot of involvement for it to yeah. figure out where and what that means. It's uh, it's nonstop. But, you know, you were talking about all those different things. And one of the things that popped into my head is the uh, legendary coupon book that we saw for years and years and years from Bymart. And you guys had to have some great success with that thing, I imagine. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting start to kind of this funky little book that we're not sure what we're doing with it. But we wanted to start connecting with our members, you know, back at that time, because this would have been, 
it evolved probably late seventies, early eighties, where we brought the coupon book about. And, um, at that time, newspaper distribution was king compared to where it's evolving to now, but we wanted to talk and reach out directly to our members and, uh, Postage, obviously, was more expensive even then than inserting, so there's greater costs. But we delivered it the first of the month, and we had a lot of people who got paid. We delivered it directly to our Biomart members. We, I think the first time we did it, if you came in and signed up, we gave you a live plant, because um, at that time we actually sold a lot of indoor plants that you sell in, that uh, you grow indoors. Mm-hmm. That was our uh, piece to try to get you to come and engage and sign up. So over time, we ended up signing up hundreds of thousands of people to do that and uh, was wildly successful. Yeah, it's it's crazy to look back at some of those things that worked so well and, and some of the unique different ways that people reached out, you know, back then compared to now and just how it's evolved. And um, as we move forward, that you guys are still, you know, adding new stores as they're there is these challenges that are out there with retail, especially. Um, what do you guys, what do you kind of see as the future of, you know, where things are going and, and some of the major challenges that are out there with so many people shopping online? Oh, that's a huge question. You know, I think for where we are today, we need to advance and, and make a decision about our website and make it searchable. And, you know, ironically, we had an e commerce program. 20 some years ago where you could buy it online and pick it up at the store. You know, nobody was doing it then. And it was an extension. It wasn't literally what we had in our store. It was an addition to what we didn't carry in our store that you could buy. We didn't probably do the best job at it or didn't understand it. So we backed away from it. Um, And I think we'll get back into that. But our audience um, is so loyal we have that 80-20 rule, you know, of merchandise mix of what people are looking for. Fortunately, um, back to the employer, we have great employees. You know, they've been with us. Average store life of an employee in our stores is 15 years. Wow. <clears throat> Do you have is, any idea what it is at other retailers? Well, you know, it's days, months, or weeks, or a few years now. I mean, there's certainly people who hang on and, and go through the process, but we're we're very lucky that we have the employees and the relationship they have with our members. Mm-hmm. So that certainly doesn't replace the convenience of the internet, but being a brick and mortar situation and having stuff that you need, want, or desire that fill your basic needs where you can get in and get out of a store that's only 30,000 square feet full of 40,000 widgets customer service that's going to take care of you, uh, a parking lot that's fast and efficient, still is relatable, you know, for those kinds of items. We're not into the clothing that we have. You're typically not buying a lot of that online. And some of the other electronics and stuff we we maybe not have. And certainly you can get groceries and all those things. And we might be a point at some time where you can order it pick it up at the curb and those kinds of things, but we're not ready to be there yet. So we're trying to be the best that we can be at where we're at right now, but it's certainly an evolving, ever changing landscape. I was talking to someone today and actually had a couple of different conversations just about the state of where we're at and how things are evolving and, and how, I don't know if people realize the impact of shopping online and obviously most of us are guilty of doing it in some way, shape or form, whether that means once a day, once a week, once a month, whatever that looks like, but just the impact over time on entire industries. And I'm not just talking about retail. I was talking about everything from, from cell phones to cars (laughs) to, I mean, you name it at some point, they're going to have a way for you to buy all these different things if it's not available now, it will be at some point and the technology is moving so quickly that what happens when some of these industries actually go away, whether it's radio, what I'm in for my real day job, whether it's the cell phone industry because Google's made their own phones and completely wiped everyone out. I mean, that's kind of a, an interesting thing to think about because then it becomes who's going to sponsor the little league teams, who's going to sponsor the college teams. Who's going to help out the boys and girls club? Who's going to help out the swim team? And um, 
it's kind of scary to think about in a way, but it's just such an interesting, complex time. Yeah, I feel like, you know, things kind of go full circle. Obviously, the Internet's bringing things that are, aren't going to change. But, you know, like in radio, you know, um, look at how it changed from all these independent folks that had a station or maybe a couple stations that went to conglomerates. And then they tried to run them with a joystick from somewhere else. And look what's happened back to bringing live bodies back on the air because that's what radio you know in my estimation is it's you it's people communicating with people and i feel like that's coming full circle again as people get these large groups which are underperforming losing money definitely because they overpaid for something they thought that they could do something and run simply and take the human element out of it mm-hmm. and say, well, we can have all these stations and we can run this format. We can do this and that. Well, you know, that doesn't work in the big picture of things. You know, I don't even think in larger markets because look at sports talk and look, we have FM talk radio stations now. Who would have ever imagined such a thing? And I think media is kind of that same way. Certainly the Internet's not going away. But I think the social aspect of retail and people communicating with people and face-to-face and see, feel, and touch, I'd hope to think that never goes away. It's certainly going to be modified and different, but look at the advent of malls mm-hmm. and what they've, we, we want to be in this one ginormous mall. Now we don't want to be in one ginormous mall. We want to go back to break it out to be separate stores, big, little, medium, and small so who knows where it's going? I mean, it's evolved from everything being downtown to going to malls to going back downtown to going out to strip malls to going on the Internet to now Internet wanting to have a brick-and-mortar store where you can go buy stuff that you order on the Internet and pick up. So, I mean, we're probably, you know, we're really in the infant stage of that when you think about it compared to the past several hundred years. Yeah, yeah. It's just so interesting, the ins and outs of it, and it's going to be a wild ride, I think, for sure. But you're right when it comes to the human aspect. I feel like even like what we're doing right now, you know, people have really gravitated towards just conversations of people. And I don't know if that's because we don't have as many conversations now because we're texting everything. I'm guilty of it. It's quicker. It's easier. I can text someone while I'm in a meeting like I was doing this morning or – in the bathroom or wherever I am, you can just communicate so quickly. And so it's almost like it's refreshing. I think when you're able to have that human interaction, you talked about the people in your stores. I know that when I've gone in there to look for something and I don't really know what I'm looking for that they say, come on over, it's this way. And we'll take me and go show me where it is. And they actually know what they're talking about and can explain it. So I know what I'm getting myself into if it's a project or whatever. It's, you know, uh, the greatest thing is taking care of people. You know, the, the fun uh, part of our job is with all this technology, ironically, we have people who email us, message us, and ask us questions. And we respond to them, you know, at all times of the night and day, which blows their mind. And we call them and we talk to them. And uh, even though we're not advanced in technology in some instances, I think it's amazingly cool that we have this relationship that somebody can reach out to us and say, why don't you put a store in this city in Washington? There's an empty building. We really need a buy mart. Who does that? And then we, we talk back to them and say, hey, I know. I appreciate you for shopping in our orchard store. And that's a great town not that far away. The fact that somebody they're talking to knows what we're talking about. It's not a robot. It's a real human caring appreciates who and what they are and we're engaging back in the basics that we used to always do and they can call our store and talk to somebody and get an answer to a question without pushing a number and waiting and doing this and leave a message you know um, and I think that's amazing even though we don't have a lot of what we have it always gets back to that basic communication and customer service of people engaging which unfortunately is just kind of disappearing. Yeah. It has to be cool to be able to go into some of those towns though, that haven't had a buy Mart and you have other retail retailers that have closed up. I know they were just talking recently about the Sears hometown store here in Grants Pass that's closing up shop. So you have these retailers, some of them big, some of them medium that are closing up. 
you guys are able to continue to expand and you've been able to get into some of these markets where maybe they didn't have something. So you're, you're actually bringing an option to town for those people that you're talking about. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, sometimes just as little as being able to buy a new clean pair of underpants and socks, you know, nobody's, nobody took care of them with those things, let alone the basic everyday goods that you need that you have them in a format that's easy to shop. It's simple and you have people to take care of them. You know, it's, it's just so simple, the concept. And sometimes we try to make simple things difficult when really it's right there in front of us. And that's really what people want and need. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit here. And I want to talk about the music festivals for a few minutes. Uh-huh. And uh, let's start by talking about our relationship just a little bit and uh-huh. how that started. Uh, you and I met. I think in passing in the radio station before the music festivals briefly, but we didn't really get to meet until the music festivals. You guys had been doing them for years. We were able to come on board. We helped you uh, for one year, uh, the first year of Cape Blanco and uh, Willamette that we were involved in. Right. And we really didn't get to know each other until year number two, until there was a situation uh-huh. So I want to talk to you about the situation. I'm okay. going to tell you my version of the story, and okay. then I want you to tell me your version. Or maybe we should hear your version first. What do you think is better? I think your version first. Okay. So for those of you listening, there was a situation that happened. And to us, it was going to be a very important night. We had spent a lot of time putting together this wagon that was custom-made for Florida Georgia Line. We thought it would be cool because... Uh, one of the guys got married. So we, we wrangled all these gifts from local vendors and had the wagon full and the presentation was awesome. And we were going to get to go up on stage and introduce these guys. And they were on top of their game at that point. And not too long before we were supposed to go up and introduce them, their road manager threw a fit. Is it accurate to say he threw a fit Don? That's very okay. accurate. Okay. So he threw a fit. He told us that we wouldn't be going up on stage. And for us, it was probably, well, it's not probably, it would have been the biggest crowd we were ever in front of. And, and we were really excited to go up there. So uh, there were some tears that were shed. There was some intense conversations that were had. And uh, we didn't go up there. And they didn't let us. And then we decided to have a few frosty beverages. And then if I remember correctly, the road manager told us we could go up after or called us up after. I can't remember exactly how that played out. Needless to say, Ashley and I ended up on stage after a few beverages. I don't really remember all that was said. I think we you know, tried to thank people for coming and maybe said a few other things. And then here comes Don and a few others to get us off the stage because you guys didn't know we were going to be up on the stage. That kind of ended, and the next morning I heard Don's looking for you. And I thought, oh boy, we're in for it now. And so I came to find you, and Ashley and I did. And uh, then we had a a very honest and direct conversation about our actions and what was expected of us. And uh, I was scared to death, honestly, (laughs) at that time. Because I really didn't know you that well. I mean, we had some interaction the year before, but... Um, you know, you talked to us about what was expected of us and how we shouldn't have done it. And, and I felt like I was honest with you. I mean, of all the details I had and, and you were very honest with me and I felt like it was a very important moment of our relationship. And that was kind of like a point where we kind of took off. I felt like in the right direction after that. Now your take on the situation. Well, no, that's all accurate. It's, until you're, there's so many dynamics going on back there that you're not aware of. You know, you became aware of them because you were entrenched backstage doing many things involved with the festival, with you and Ashley and the show. So over time, we involved. At that time, you didn't necessarily know all the dynamics of dealing with the artist management, dealing with the people who are running the festival. There's a lot to balance in there that's a, a real interesting dynamic. And those were, you know, part of the things that I was dealing with besides just dealing with what had been promised, what wasn't able to be delivered after you guys put all your time and effort into it. Balancing the people who are managing the festival and dealing with the artist management and dealing with you. 
and just the repercussions of all that. It's kind of a chain reaction, mm-hmm. you know, good, bad, or indifferent. This thing all kind of flows downhill. Um, and then also trying to represent um, our great partners, which is you and Ashley in our relationship and not damaging that with uh, the festival people who run the festival and moving that forward along and dealing along also with artists and other artists because as you learned a lot of things can be promised and and not delivered and there's things beyond your control all of our controls um that can be very frustrating um and for you the you know i i got it because it was a big point in your i don't know if career is the word but a big point in who you guys were, where you were, what you were doing. And it was a tremendous opportunity for you to be able to do it. So it wasn't like a little thing that got taken away. It was a ginormous thing, probably one of the biggest things in your career, potentially maybe in that type of a situation. A, you'd put all the work into it. You'd taken all your audience along with you for the experience and you couldn't deliver it. Mm -hmm. So it's huge, you know, and uh, so the reaction is a normal human being reaction to it. It just snowballed from there because of your disappointment and stuff. And then it's just dealing with all of those people and the festival people and such, you know, from that point on. But the cool thing is out of that, look what we grew into and look what become and look at what you guys were a huge part of the festival, a huge part of Bymart and what we did. And look how that all got elevated. We survived that crash and burn and picked ourselves up, dusted ourselves off, and grew, just like you said, from that. Because that situation, which was an unfortunate situation, uh, developed into tremendous, wonderful things down the road. Yeah, and I really feel like it could have went either way. And I just I think back to it a lot because just the way you handled it, because the way it was described to me when they said, Don's looking for you, it was not in a good way. And I thought, man, did we screw this up? We're just getting started. And just the way you handled it, and I think part of it, I mean, it probably went the way it did because we both handled it the way we did because the way you approached us. And then, I I mean, I did the only thing I knew how, and that was just to be honest with you about what happened. And, and yeah, it just, I actually left talking, you know, walked away from that powwow with you feeling way better and like we understood where each other was coming from and and you're right it just took off from there and we were able to be a part of so many great things after that you know and we understood what was expected of us and and we're always very straightforward from both sides and it just really worked well and there's a lot of cool things that happen well yeah we both got it you know the thing was is i uh i didn't want you to lose your opportunity future opportunities because of one incident I didn't want that to escalate into something uh, that other people could use that against us to continue to do what we were doing. And that was my main point is we lost an opportunity, but there's more in front of us that we don't want to take something that happened and make it bigger than it should be. So let's fix that, move on. And we got bigger, better stuff that's going to come down the road. And I knew we'd get there, but we had to survive that because sometimes you have to balance all these other people and situations you're dealing with. As you've seen, uh, you know, as we've moved along about losing control of certain situations, what you can and can't do and making the best of a situation because that's all you can do and manage is what's in front of you. And sometimes things are beyond both of our controls, unfortunately. Yeah, it's interesting for me to look back at it early on trying to be involved in so many different aspects of it and things that you think are important. And then fast forward to the end where you realize, you know what, whether it's meet and greets or whatever it is, you know, those are experiences for the fans and to get them opportunities. And I think by the end of it, it was a completely different approach than it was early on because we knew what we were getting into and, and how that all goes. And a lot of people have no idea how that all works or what goes into a festival. Well, yeah, the amazing, I mean, there till you've been there and experienced it from the backstage positioning for your world, you know, being a 
radio personality and doing all the things that you do, dealing with artists when they call in and talk to you versus dealing with an artist backstage and their representatives is a whole different dynamic that gets presented to you. And then just taking all that and all the other things and the elements that we, you know, did. The fun thing was we created a dynamic event that get, that became bigger than just the artists. It was the experience. Regardless of who we had there, certainly that was a key factor. But I felt like just talking to the people, their memories of what happened and interacting with their friends and all those pieces and all that stuff that we created... That was so such an awesome, cool part of it. The business side of it, of dealing with the reality behind the curtain that people don't get to see is a whole different level. And them also understanding is how you get who you get and why you don't get who you don't get. And it's not, I want Blake Shelton. I want this person. Just write him a check, make him, why aren't they here? The whole dynamics of how that works and who came and who didn't came is fascinating. It'd be, it'd be fun to be able to take and capsulize all that together and somehow communicate that to the fans out there so they had an understanding of how some of this world works. Not that it necessarily matters to them, but they'd have a deeper understanding and appreciation for when somebody comes to their market and performs, how all that came down to get from A to Z. Yeah. How many names were almost added to the lineup or were added to the lineup, but not announced and then taken away from the lineup or replaced or there's so many different factors and so many different things going on there that people never even heard about. And it happens at at many festivals, you know, but just the whole dynamic there, you're right, of how that all comes together. And then the involvement from the different parties, like with Bymart, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, why would Bymart be in, involved in music festivals? Well, <clears throat> it's a long story, but I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest, you know, version for me, uh, just to how we kind of got there. You know, when I originally got in, my job is we didn't have any marketing dollars. So how am I going to get my name out to the Josephine County Fair or the Lane County Fair and, you know, through trying to manipulate situations where I could take a small budget and make it bigger. We grew to work with county fairs and different things like that. And that grew into, hey, how can we partner our partners? What about if we sponsor the entertainment and we work with the local radio stations together and collaborate? So some of our first <clears throat> foray into that was a Lane County Fair where we, they, they brought in the talent. We had nothing to do with that. But we worked with the radio stations to help promote it to our audience, to your audience, to everyone out there, and kind of connected the dots so it was a more orchestrated, seamless kind of proposition where Bymart had a lot of exposure, the fair got a lot of exposure, the radio stations got a lot of exposure, but we kind of worked together when the fairs didn't necessarily know how to connect those dots. Mm -hmm. And out of that... Um, I'd always wanted to be, I was always, I mean, I'd been a country music fan and I wanted to figure out a way we could do something on a bigger scale. And, you know, fortunately the opportunity in Brownsville presented itself uh, with some people um, and they had, they had uh, seen other things that we had done and knew of what we'd done. And through that relationship, you know, we started on a very, 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 very small scale I'm out in the middle of the field with a few hundred people. And, but that little bit of working with our partners and making it happen grew into our part of the, it wasn't our festival, other people own the festival, but it was bringing you and other radio stations and people together to talk about it, to grow it, to make it bigger and taking all of our assets together and radio and television and print partners and making it a bigger thing where in the end we were promoting it in three states all over the Northwest to millions of people all year long, which was a great branding tool for Bymart. And it was all born out of all these partnerships and relationships to be able to together were much stronger than we are independently. And I couldn't do much by myself, but with you, I'm bigger 
And when you're with me, you get bigger. And then we bring more people in. And <clears throat> I mean, I'm simplifying it, but that's how we kind of just ended up being in the festival world is making what we learned doing fairs and other one-off smaller concerts and connecting them. And, you know, the first two or three years were kind of ugly and small. But, you know, by the fourth and fifth year, it started to get bigger and better. And then more people wanted to be involved in it. And our, our audience grew and our marketing partners grew. And that's kind of how it all started together. At the peak of, let's say, Willamette, what was the total number of people for the biggest event there <clears throat> that you grew it to or were a part of growing it to? Oh, at its height, we probably had, you know, 25,000 people a day Yeah, coming in there that, you know, had grown out from a few hundred people. And that's probably inflating the number when we first started it, you know, out in a field in Brownsville. And 25,000 might even be a little conservative for one of those years that it yeah. looked like there was a few more eyeballs. There was, than- a, there, was, there was a lot of people there. There was no doubt about it. It was impressive. On our year five, I think it was, when we had Alan Jackson, and I think we had about 15,000 people. That's where we really probably doubled in size and it, over a year's time. I, I remember just standing and looking at it, and it looked, you know, when it's on flat land, it's like when you're in a football stadium, um, it – doesn't seem like that many people, but when you're in a flat piece of ground and you look out there and you see 15,000 people, it looks like 150,000 people, mm-hmm. especially when you'd had a few hundred people and it grew. And I remember when he came out on stage and the whole crowd just kind of surged forward, not in a bad, like we're rushing the stage, but it was excitement. And um, <clears throat> you have a little bit of panic in you about what's going to happen. But it was uh, a good thing. Nothing happened. But it was just the excitement and the mm-hmm. energy from everybody. And it was just just amazing. That was kind of the first time we had like, wow, this can, this can really be something special and something really big. And then it got even bigger from there. Did you think it would get as big as it got at the peak? I don't know that we knew. I mean, it's 15,000 seems so big. You know, adding 10,000 people in that area. The the other thing is nobody knows, of course, they don't do it. The logistics of getting people in and out, all the hoops you have to jump through with the county to make that happen with traffic control. It's not just of getting them there, even if you can get them there. All that you have to do to get it in place to get them there was so much. And after you you look at all that and try to understand how do you get them there, it's like, well, even if we could get them there, can you fit that many people in there? And how is the traffic and parking going to work? And um, so I think that was just all. I mean, I don't know that if we ever really believed that could happen. And then add another one and another one from there and juggle all of those balls at the same time. <clears throat> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, amazing because we're not talking a large amount of people who had hundreds of volunteers. And without the volunteers, none of this could have ever happened. I mean, that was the cool thing is a lot of money was raised for schools and nonprofits and stuff. And it was, you know, a dozen or so people managing hundreds of people, putting this on together and then touching all the county and city and fire and police and all those people that you go through to make something like this happen and having a 150 page document that you've got to cross the T's and dot the I's on to make it happen. Yeah. And people working feverishly to make sure everyone's safe and, and conducting themselves in a somewhat decent manner so that nobody's getting hurt and everyone's being safe. And then, um, yeah, it's just, it's incredible when you think about it, all that goes on. <clears throat> well, yeah, the logistics. I mean, nobody sees that behind the scenes, obviously. They wouldn't. But it's just amazing what you can do with a few people, a lot of volunteers and cooperation from a lot of people from counties and cities to make it happen. Um, yeah, it came a long ways. I was amazed here when we came to Medford and was working with all the people here and what they did in a short time and all the people involved. 
it was really incredible. I mean, they took somebody to an area that wasn't made to do what we did in a short period of time logistically, and it certainly wasn't perfect. But the two years that we were here, everybody learned a lot, and we did a lot of great things, and it was about hard work of the county and uh, the cities and all the governing bodies that are involved in that. It's uh, pretty cool to look back and how that all came together so quickly. Can you talk a little bit about why it moved from the coast and the issues there was there? Because people have asked me so many times, and if you just tell me now, <laughs> then I can share this with everyone and they can understand why that couldn't be a thing anymore. Well, the coast was fantastic. And it was another one of those things. It was, it exploded so quickly. I mean, it's the coast. It's the coast. It's the coast. And I mean, everybody still loves wants the coast. to go to the coast. And it's, you know, it's cooler. It's different. There's nothing anything like that on the coast. And we had uh, worked with people who ran the festival, who worked with landowners here that had a great piece of property. But it was limited in size and scope. And there wasn't anywhere else to grow into. So fortunately or unfortunately, we outgrew the space. And uh, I remember when they moved the parking off site and they were busing people in, I thought it's, this is going to be an absolute disaster. And it went really, really smoothly. But unfortunately, there wasn't any additional land around there so we could grow it. And we clearly showed that people wanted to be there and people wanted to go. And uh, that was fantastic. But at that time, there wasn't any other property available that was big enough to accommodate a bigger festival. So um, Helen um, Funk, who runs the expo, had been there and talked about, and we talked about when we're at the coast, either in Medford or having it at the coast. And we knew the draw of the coast was the big thing. We just didn't know how many people would come and what the demand would be to see would we outgrow. Well, obviously, we found out we outgrew it quick. And um, Helen was willing to take on and the city and the county was willing to take on moving it to the expo because we didn't have any other opportunities or any other space anywhere on the coast that could get approved to grow it there. So that's why it ended up moving to um, Central Point in Medford. And as many great memories as there was at the coast and in Brownsville and in Central Point, it all came to an end and we see how passionate people are about their music festivals, their memories, their experiences, when all of a sudden it goes away. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, all the comments from people that I'm sure obviously you've heard more than I do, um, the phone calls, the letters, the emails, you know, about their memories and where's it going to be and what are you going to do for um, Brownsville and for its central, I mean, just the outpouring because here again it was the relationship yeah they loved all the artists but it was vacationing being with your friends all that you got to do bringing them together that's what they really were missing and wanting to be able to count on because they were planning for that every year just in its short lifetime that we had on the coast and and here in southern oregon yeah, and unfortunately, when that went sideways, there's a lot of us who were very attached to it and had our names very attached to it. And so we got to deal with some of the backlash of what that was, unfortunately, even though it was out of our control. Yeah, there's so much that go on behind the scenes that, you know, we probably all won't know ourselves about how it all came down through the ownership and uh, why it had to end. And nobody ever really said it was over. So it was kind of left hanging. You know, I think if somebody could have stepped up and said, you know, we're not going to be able to do this any longer. We're at a point where uh, we just can't continue for financial reasons or whatever the situation is. The people that had the festival didn't step up and weren't in a position, I guess, to be able to comment on that would have made your life a lot easier and mine a lot easier because even though none of us would have been happy about it, we just need to know what's happening and what's going on and, and where's that all at as they were trying to clean all that up from the festival that was over in Mountain Home, the festival that was here in Southern Oregon, and the festival that was in Brownsville. So it didn't have an ending point. It just was kind of hanging there. 
as you're involved with different venues across the state, whether it's the amphitheater in Central Point, what do you see your involvement being with entertainment? Is that something you guys still want to do? Maybe not necessarily on a festival, or, or maybe it is, but what do you kind of see that involvement being? Because obviously people still like to go to shows. Radio stations like ours are still willing to partner with Bymart. What does that look like? Well, um, you know, we're doing it, you know, here in uh, Southern Oregon at the expo with our amphitheater and working with them when they get opportunities and certainly when they have shows during the, the fair. Um, I think the perfect scenario would be if we could create multiple locations so we could, you need to create routing for these artists to get a chance to get them. It's not like you can just write them a check and they show up. They're either touring on their own or they're joining some other tour or they're already booked for fairs or other events across the Northwest. So it would be great to cover the region that we're in. You know, I have something in Southern Oregon, maybe something in Boise, something in Spokane, something up in the Yakima area or somewhere in central Washington or something like that, where you could work with people like yourself and create our own little radio network across the Northwest and partners and be able to, you know, bring people in, bring artists in connect them with sponsors in the community and take that show around, I think would be just fantastic because we all have the same vision of what we want to do. We know how to do it and we want to do it for the right reasons. So now you've got to get the right kind of partners where you could work something like that out where it's viable to get them at a more affordable price because you've got the availability to do them in multiple locations. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It would be cool to see something like that work out. Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts that go into it, but uh, it sure is a fun thing when it all works out and, <coughs> and people get to be a part of it. Yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic. I mean, there was a lot of frustrating things about it, but there was a lot of fantastic things. And we met a lot of great people. I mean, look at what we got to do together, and there's countless stories like that, and it's amazing what you can take people who – that isn't what they do, but we can make it all happen and we could create a great situations for people. And it's really difficult when you only do it once a year because it's not like you get to, oh, let's fix this and then let's do it again next weekend. You do it again a year later. But we were able to create all those fun dynamics over all those years with great country music, providing great entertainment and great fun. And, uh, created a lot of great fun memories for people that they'll always have. And for us, not only creating those great memories, but also, you know, through that relationship with you guys, we're able to get tickets for our St. Jude Radiothon, which helped elevate that tremendously over the years. Hundreds and hundreds of pairs of tickets every year to put towards the Radiothon. And then even when that went away and the festivals went away and we thought, well, what are we going to do now? You guys stepped up at Bymart with the gift card. So it's easy to say, oh, that it's terrible that all, that all went away, but there's been so many other things that evolved and offshoots that have uh, happened because of the relationship that started, uh, you know, back at the beginning that we talked about where we could have went right or we could have went left with our conversation <clears throat> that we had. We've been able to do some pretty amazing things since then. Well, that's a cool thing. You know, uh, we've developed a relationship with you and other people where look at all we get to do now. It didn't stop. We went to a fork in the road, I guess, and we went one way and we're getting to still do things together and get to help people and support communities. And it's, it still gets back to that basics, people helping people every day and it's really simple and sometimes I don't know why we make it so difficult and we can't see it but look how strong we are together versus individual people trying to do things we can do great things individually but as a team it just quadruples in size and scope of what we get to do together to help each other and help communities yeah it just takes people willing to be open to stuff like that, being uh, open to partnering or hearing other people's ideas or whatever that is. You know, because obviously if you're not open to the ideas, you're never going to experience something different. And yeah, the model is some people are just used to what they're used to. That was a, that was a hard thing about um, fairs and different things is we thought we had a good plan, but it was out of the box of what they're used to. And so you have to be willing to look at it and realize that if if you don't get selfish and it's all about me and it can be all about us, 
we can work together and we can do it. And even though it's not the norm of maybe how you do it, maybe you can learn and maybe we can make it better. And uh, we were able to prove that to a lot of people that we can independently come together as one and do some spectacular things. And you start to build trust. And I think that's an important part of it because once we started developing that trust that we knew that even if it was the 11th hour that we were going to be taken care of no matter what. And there was times where it was very stressful, but I remember telling someone in our building adamantly probably pounding on the table when they weren't quite getting it, that don't worry, it's going to be fine. I know you don't have it today, but they've never let us down and they're not going to this time. And to be able to say that comes from, trusting someone. Yeah, absolutely. Might've gone down to the bitter end, but we got there and got her done. And, um, but that is trust certainly is a big part of it. And proving yourself develops that trust saying what you're going to do and do what you're going, what you said. Yeah. That's a simple key to make it happen. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you trusting me because you definitely didn't have to at the beginning because you didn't know what you were getting into with me. And for some reason you decided to trust me and you know, ever since then? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's a two way street. Uh, we both need each other and, you know, so you hang in there, right? Um, because you know, there's a good place. We're going to go down the road together and there's a lot ahead of us. This wasn't the end of the road. This was just a bump in the road that led us to a great place down the road. And that's really why you stick together and why you do what you do. I definitely don't think I would have ever guessed that we'd be sitting here, though, doing this at my house in the garage. No, this is pretty amazing. Is this the most luxurious studio you've ever been in? This is probably one of the nicer studios I've been. I'm not (laughs) sure I've been in a studio before that had a water heater in it. Yeah, there's a fridge, there's a freezer, there's a, what is that thing, like an armoire, there's a toolbox, there's about 18 bicycles, a couple electric scooters, Mickey's sitting over here being very quiet. There's, I mean, there's a, a flame-throwing torch over there. There's some marshmallow roasting sticks. What else do you need, Mickey? I'd say it's unique. Yeah, it's unique for sure. I'm just surprised we haven't seen a kid yet. I thought for sure we'd see my three-year-old out here, but uh, we should probably wrap it up pretty soon because I don't want to keep you too late. And Plus, I think he wants to try and sneak out here. But I want to ask you, before we wrap it up, what's your favorite thing about going to Disneyland? Oh, boy. I just love the whole Disneyland itself. I just love the feeling, the energy, the happiness, um, just the whole experience. I don't think there's any one piece I like more than anything else other than just walking into the park and walking down Main Street and seeing all of it. It's just been, uh, I remember watching Disney as a kid, the wide world of Disney on Sunday nights, probably back before you were with us. Um, so before but, 1980, yeah. And, uh, I always wanted to go there. And the first time I went, I think I was in my early twenties, but I think I got a fonder appreciation as I've grown older and been able to take my son there and uh, have experiences with him and all that, you know, I think it's just created great memories for us because it's something you know, together we've had a lot of fun and created a lot of great memories with. Brings out the inner kid in all of us. Well, you know, as guys, we never mature beyond eight anyway. So it's not like we're ever that 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 far away. That's what I say. I mean, I'm just (laughs) saying in in reality, I think that's kind of how we're judged. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, that's... But so, and we can live up to that. So it's good. Yeah. I think I do a pretty good job of that. I think if you were to ask my wife, she would probably say seven. Yeah. I'm hopeful that we're going to get to eight at some point before we leave this world. Mickey, what should I ask Don that I haven't asked him? Give me a hard hitting question before we let him off the hook. What makes him tick? Ooh. Okay. I don't think everyone else could hear that. So Mickey wants to know what makes you tick. Oh boy, that's, I don't even know if I know that one. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm uh, I'm 49 years at Bymart is a long time to work for one company. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the amazing thing for me is I still feel like I've never achieved what I want to achieve, and I probably never will, and I couldn't even tell you what I want to achieve other than I want to make it better and bigger and feel like I can be better at what I do. So that drives me every day, even though I've been here for so long. You can't stay stuck where you are. You got to keep growing and changing. And I'm excited, and uh, I'm a crazy guy who's just passionate about it. So, you know, I guess... What makes me tick is passion, and uh, that's what's, you know, whether I'm passionate about Disneyland or passionate about Bymart or country music, um, it inspires me to keep moving and keep going. Maybe that's why we get along, because I've been known to be passionate a few times. One, well, backstage at a festival, Florida Georgia Line. I may have been a little passionate that night. Yeah, but you know what? Imagine if you weren't passionate. Yeah. You know, you got to have a fire in you, right? If you're not passionate and excited about wanting to do something... It's not going to be any fun, is it? No, and I'm all about having fun, as you know, which is almost what got me in trouble that night. But you were in a you were in a country music festival, and it was a fun situation, and we both lived to talk about it, so it's all yeah. good. All right, well, I guess we can wrap it up there then, if, unless I left anything else out. Mickey, did I leave anything out? I mean, there's a lot of other things we could talk about, but I don't want to keep you too long. So I really appreciate you coming over. I really appreciate you trusting me for all these years. And uh, yeah, because you've definitely helped me in a lot of different ways. Well, so. we've got to help each other. It's awesome. We got to we got to meet a lot of great people together. We got to do we've got to do a lot of things together with great people that I didn't know before as well and stuff. And you know what? We're not done yet. Who knows what we're going to do, but I know there's going to be fun, great things ahead of us that we're going to do. And uh, uh, thanks for bringing me in. Uh, I was really excited about this, and uh, thank you for that. So you're telling me you're going to give us at least a couple of more years? Absolutely. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks, Don. Thank you. There you go. Episode 23, Garage Talk Podcast. You can find it just about anywhere. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, garagetalkpodcast.com. Don't forget to give it a rating. Share it with your friends. It really helps to give it a good rating and to share and to comment. I always forget that, but don't forget to comment. You can do that very easily, especially on Apple. So do that. And uh, Don Lieber, he is, give me the official title, Don. Vice President of Marketing and Advertising. Of Marketing and Advertising. It's almost past my bedtime, so I needed a little help with that one. But thanks again, Doc. Thank you.